the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Here's what you want to keep in mind. Each of us has been given exactly what God wants us to have And whatever we have is considered ours personally. It is not for common consumption. Not for common consumption. Therefore, we are to respect each other's property and not take what doesn't belong to us. That's the point. See, stealing is morally wrong because it really disregards what God has providentially given to you. In essence, it's it's really blaming God, saying, "I, I really, really, you're wrong, Lord. I should have more, and I will take whatever I think I need. That is one of several reasons why it is wrong to steal. We will consider some of them today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher. He is leading us one commandment at a time through the Ten Commandments. Today he continues a three-part message on the Eighth Commandment, Do Not Steal. In 1960, Frank Sinatra played a World War II veteran who banded together some of his fellow vets to try to rob five Las Vegas casinos on New Year's Eve. Not long ago, George Clooney reprised the role of Danny Ocean in a trilogy of movies. As in many movies, the heroes of the story are actually crooks. We like them because they're not as bad as the people they battle against. But they're still crooks. Once we start comparing one person's behavior against another's, such as happens with Oceans 11 through Oceans 13, right and wrong can get pretty scrambled up. When that happens, we need to turn back to God's absolute standards to sort it all out. Let me explain something. A common rationalization for this type of larceny is that it's really okay to steal from a uh, successful company because, you know what, they have plenty of money. They won't miss it. Besides, they pay me so little, they owe it to me. I'll get it in paper clips if I have to, but I'll get it. (laughs) Listen, this is nothing more than the old Robin Hood syndrome. Robin Hood is a hero in our day. He's been a hero for many years. But he was a crook. He was a crook. In In his line of thinking, it's all right to rob from the rich in order to help the poor. Listen, robbing is robbing. It's wrong. It's all stealing. Regardless of how petty the item is, regardless of who you take it from, how much they have, it is stealing. And it morally is wrong. It violates the Eighth Commandment. And let me tell you the real tragedy. There are two things, the real tragedy of taking these these petty, petty items. The real tragedy about taking inexpensive items is that not only do you compromise your integrity and your testimony for Christ over petty stuff, I mean, that, that in and of itself is bad, that you would lose your testimony over, over stamps or paper clips. I mean, that's, that's just nonsense. But the real tragedy here and the real danger is that once you begin to do that and you violate your conscience with little things like that, 
you'll be more inclined to steal bigger things because your conscience becomes hardened. Nobody starts out by taking someone's car. No one starts out stealing by robbing a car. There were a, there were a series of, of many decisions along the road before it escalated into something major like that. So don't think a paperclip, oh, it's nothing. You do that and uh, you can hurt your testimony over something that, that costs less than a penny as well as violating your conscience, which gets harder and harder and harder. So that when the really important, significant issues, expensive issues, I should say, are facing you, you've got a hardened heart. So the first question that helps us to understand this Eighth Commandment is, what does it mean to steal? How do we do it? And the answer is, it means to take anything that doesn't belong to you, regardless of what it is. It's not yours. So if you have done that, then make restitution. Get it back. If you need to speak to an employer, then then do it. It'd be very humbling, but that's what the Christian life calls us to. Second question that helps us to understand the Eighth Commandment is this. Why is it a sin to steal? Why exactly is it a sin to steal? That's a very important question to ask because I'm convinced that unless you understand the moral reasons behind this prohibition against stealing, you really won't have deep-seated convictions against it. You you really won't hate it. It's, it's, It's something you ought to understand, something that you ought to shun because you understand the immorality of it. Why is is stealing such a terrible thing to do? Well, the basic reason is because to steal really shows a lack of respect, a lack of love for other people and their property. That that's a given. I think we all understand that. And as we've said before, one purpose of the Ten Commandments is to demonstrate that we love God. And that's the first few commandments. And then we the second commandment, Jesus said, second most important commandment is that we love our neighbors ourselves. So if you love your neighbor, you don't take anything from him. That's the basic reason. But there are three other reasons that are not so obvious that really are related to the sin of stealing. And I want to share these with you. I'd encourage you to take notes on this. These are often issues that we don't even consider concerning stealing, but it's what makes stealing so immoral. First of all, stealing stems from a lack of trust in God to provide properly for us. It's really an attitude that says, God, you you have not provided properly for me. I need more. I'm not trusting you to do it, so I will steal. Let me explain. The reason why stealing exists at all in the first place is because somebody has something we want. So they steal it from us. Or somebody has something that, uh, or something I should say they want, so they steal it from us. Or somebody has something we want, so we steal it from them. But no one would possess anything that could be stolen if God hadn't given us that possession. That's a profound statement. I'm going to develop this right now. See, the foundational biblical truth that makes stealing so wrong is that God has established the individual's right to private property. We, We take that for granted. Well, of course, private property, yes. But that's a God given right, that's not intrinsic. God, who ultimately owns everything, has granted each of us the right to have personal possessions. He owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Psalm 50, the Old Testament, Psalm 50, verses 10 and twelve, uh, ten through 12 say the same thing. Let me read this to you. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains. And everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it 
contains. Everything belongs to God. When you walk outside and you see the birds, that belongs to God. You see trees, that belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. The only reason that we possess anything is because it's on loan from God. That's why. God says, I've given you the power to become wealthy, to acquire material things. And the primary way God does that is through the process known as hard work. Hard work. We work for what we get. Now, there are some exceptions to that, but that's basically the way it is. God provides for us and sustains us by us working. Proverbs 14, 23, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Talk all the time and don't work and you will be poor. Work hard and you will acquire material goods. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands and then at the end of this paul says and not be in any need in other words that's how god through hard work meets our needs i think that's very important to understand so watch this by implication then the eighth commandment affirms that god as ultimate owner of everything has granted us the right to be in possession of things see whatever you own it didn't come to you because you were in the right place at the right time Or somebody just liked you. Or you happen to catch a break. Or or somebody will say, which is such an unbiblical expression, it's just good luck. I just have good luck. It was my fortune. No, it wasn't that at all. All you have has been provided by the good hand of God. All that you have. And all that you don't have is what God says you're not to have. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says... What do you have that you did not receive? That's a great question. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. Whatever I have, Lord, I have because you gave it to me, through usually through the process of hard work. And James 1.17 says, Every good and, and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now watch this. Because God grants us the right to private ownership, we can dismiss We can dismiss the notion of communism that says what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. The Bible does not teach that. You have an isolated incident in early church history where the church at Jerusalem, because out of necessity, because many of them lost their jobs and couldn't go home, they did have communal living for a time, but that's not taught in Scripture as the norm, the pattern. It's a very unique situation. Here's what you want to keep in mind. Each of us has been given exactly what God wants us to have. And whatever we have is considered ours personally. It is not for common consumption. Not for common consumption. Therefore, we are to respect each other's property and not take what doesn't belong to us. That's the point. See, stealing is morally wrong because it really disregards what God has providentially given to you. In essence, it's it's really blaming God, saying, I... I really, really, you're wrong, Lord. I should have more. And I will take whatever I think I need. God has entrusted material things to you, not someone else. Therefore, for any of us to steal something that doesn't belong to us, essentially is the sin of not trusting God to properly provide for us. And the root that lies at the heart of stealing is a a distrust in God's goodness to provide all that we need. That's, That's a very critical issue. Very critical. 
Those who steal are essentially saying that God's plan for them is wrong. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. They must have more than God has provided for them, and they'll get it by taking what he's given to someone else. So when we steal, whether it's by force or or subtlety, we're really no different from the Old Testament Israelites who in their wilderness wanderings disbelieved God. Disbelieved God. They said, and it says in Psalm 78, 19, they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Meaning, how can God provide for us out here? How can God, he's not powerful enough. He's not even good enough to provide for us in this wilderness setting. And when we steal, Regardless of what it is, we're saying the same thing. We're saying the same thing. We're saying, God, you're really, you're really not, not good enough, nor are you powerful enough to provide for me in my situation. But that is so contrary to what Scripture teaches. So, stealing is wrong because it, it stems from a lack of unbelief. Unbelief. Secondly, the second reason stealing is morally wrong is because it is motivated by a covetous heart, which is similar to unbelief. But covetousness, those who, who steal demonstrate not only do they lack faith in God's goodness and ability to provide for them, they are really dissatisfied with what he has provided for them. It's a lack of contentment. They covet what others have and they all eventually steal from them. The sin of coveting leads to the sin of stealing. We'll learn more about that when we get to the 10th commandment. But it is a wicked sin because essentially coveting is an accusation against the Lord that he doesn't really know what he's doing. He has not done right by, by you. Otherwise, he'd give you more. You need more. You have to have more. So if you don't get more, you're going to take from others who have earned more. The third reason that stealing is morally wrong is that it is related to the sin of laziness. Laziness. Scripture commands us to be diligent. It commands us to work hard. It condemns laziness. It condemns slothfulness. We said earlier that, for the most part, God provides for us by the process of hard work. But those who steal want to get something for nothing. They don't want to work hard for it. They want to get something for nothing. They want you to work hard for it, and they'll take from you. That's what they do. Remember what Paul said to the Thessalonians. I'd like you to turn there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's important that, that you see this because... Paul indicates by this the importance of hard work and when people are not working hard but come under the guise of spirituality. That's what was taking place at Thessalonica. At this church, you had people who were so, uh, so turned on by the thought that Christ could come at any time that they, they stopped working. They went from house to house and under the guise of being interested in the Lord's coming, they became lazy and they sponged off of other people and they accepted handouts. And it looked so spiritual because they were going from house to house and telling people about the Lord's return. Paul condemns that. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. Now, he speaks of his own example that when he came to a place and preached the gospel, he made sure that he paid for things. He, he made sure that nobody thought he was a crook, that nobody thought that he was coming in there to get their money. So he says in verse 8, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Paul said, I work very hard so that I would not be a burden to you. And verse 9, not because we did not have the right to do this. Paul is saying, you know, as an apostle, I really did have the right to be supported by God's people. But he didn't take that right. He said, but in order that 
that um, in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example, so that you would not be taking from anybody, but you would be giving. And then notice this, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. Great, great truth. Scripture teaches that if someone is capable of working and they do not, then we are not to give them any handouts because, folks, that just encourages laziness and it gives them the opportunity to steal under the guise of charity. It's wrong. Now, it's important that we understand that Paul is not referring to people who have a disability and can't work. He's not saying that. It's right for us to help people in that state. Nor is Paul saying that we should not give to those who have just temporarily run into a hard time. Maybe they've been hit with heavy bills. Maybe they've lost their job. It's temporary. We ought to step in. We ought to help. That's why we have a benevolent fund. We'll be taking that up tonight. That's fine. That's right to do that. But he's referring to someone whose financial woes are caused by their own unwillingness to work. Those who make a career out of being unemployed. That is their career. And they're good at it. We're not to encourage this by giving to them because to give to them is to encourage them essentially to steal from us. And that's wrong. It's not good for them. It's not good for us either. And how many people in light in light of this truth are actually stealing from our government by being supported by welfare when they could be working? We're not talking about those who who can't work, but people who could be working and just bleed the system. It's really just another form of legalized stealing. I know that's an oxymoron, but I think that's a true statement, legalized stealing. So, so far in our study, we've attempted to understand the meaning of the Eighth Commandment. We've asked two questions to unpack this. Number one, what does it mean to steal? How do we do it? Taking what doesn't belong to us in a host of ways, some by force, more with us by subtlety. Secondly, we ask, why is it wrong to steal? Because it is a lack of trust in God. It is saying, I really don't believe that God could provide for me, so I'll take matters into my own hands and I will steal from others. And also it is motivated by covetousness, a lack of being content with what, what God has given you. He hasn't given you as much as he's given other people. And he's given you more than he's given some other people. Just be content. And number three, it does encourage laziness. It, it encourages getting something you didn't work for. But there is a third question, and perhaps the most important question that we can ask this morning What positive virtue does the Eighth Commandment encourage us to cultivate? As we said, God is not interested that you only refrain from stealing. There's something more in this commandment. And for that, you really need to turn in in your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Turn in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. One of the most astounding verses about this whole issue concerning not stealing. When I discovered this verse... Some years ago, I, I, it just blew my mind. It is, it is so incredible. And it's not what I would have thought the Bible would say. Imagine that. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Paul says, and he's talking about old man, new man. The old man is what you were before coming to Christ. The new man is what you are now that you are in Christ. But sadly enough, we carry old man baggage into the new life and we need to get rid of it. We carry things from our non-Christian days, attitudes and behavior patterns into the Christian life. And Paul says, take it off. Take it off and discard it. In in, uh, verse 28, he tells us what a thief must discard. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, 
performing with his own hands what is good. Okay, so if you if you steal, stop stealing and work hard. But watch this. So that, here's the purpose, so that he'll have something to share with one who has need. Is that an amazing truth? It's a marvelous verse in Scripture because it not only tells us that once we come to faith in Christ, we should never steal again since stealing is characteristic of the unsaved. That's the way we once were. But this verse also reveals that one of the marks, and note this, one of the marks of a converted individual is that instead of taking from others like we once did, now we work hard in order to earn enough money not only to take care of ourselves and our families, but we want to earn enough money to take care of those who are needy outside of our families. That's why this is an amazing verse. You see, a true believer is not only to to take care of himself and his family, but Paul says he's to work hard enough to earn enough money to meet the legitimate needs of others, especially the implication is especially those in the body of Christ, though not, not limited to that. In other words, the positive virtue, folks, implied in the eighth commandment is generosity. Generosity. God is not only interested that you stop stealing, he wants you to cultivate the virtues of generosity and liberality in giving to others. See, generosity is actually a very strong evidence of God's grace at work in your life. Those who have been saved by grace are gracious in giving to others. And I'd like you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you'll keep your place there, we're going to refer to this to these chapters several times. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Now, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 speak about giving, but more than giving, they speak about generosity. Generosity. Paul's arguing for the Corinthians to be generous in giving money, taking a collection for the poor Jewish believers stuck in Jerusalem without any job, and now the church is bearing in Jerusalem the whole weight of this. And Paul wants Gentile churches around the Roman Empire to, to take up collections and give. And the Corinthians were a little slow in doing this. So Paul writes in chapter 8, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. The churches of Macedonia were those churches in the northern part of Greece, the area known as, as Macedonia, would be the uh, Philippians, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, and perhaps other churches we're not aware of. But that's what he's talking about. He said, I want you to know about God's grace at work in these believers to the north of you. Second verse, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. All this means is that they were dirt poor, and yet they gave money. Though they were below the poverty line, they enjoyed giving their money. They, they were generous. That's, that's what he means. The great ordeal of affliction was that they were, they were dirt poor, and yet they had an abundance of joy. They enjoyed giving. They, they didn't give because somebody laid a guilt trip on them. They didn't give because they felt pressure. They didn't give for any other reasons except they wanted to. It was joyous for them, and, and, they're over, and, and their giving overflowed. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability, and Paul writes, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. I didn't ask them to do this, but they gave. And Paul says in verse 4, They were begging us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. Paul's probably thinking here, you know what, they're so poor, we ought to take an offering for them. But they pleaded with Paul for the joy that would come into their hearts if they could just give. 
Paul said, I don't even want them to give, but they pleaded and they were joyful about this. It is often true that those with few resources give proportionally more than those with much. Why were the Macedonians such generous givers? Pastor Steve will tell us on the next Verse by Verse. Steve Kreloff has been the senior pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. At Verse by Verse Ministries, we're delighted to be able to make them available to you through this great radio station. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, contribute to it, or listen to previous classes, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you call us at 727-239-0306, you can order a CD or a cassette with this entire three-part message on the Eighth Commandment. Can generosity gain us entry to heaven? Certainly not, but it's a biblical truth that generosity is one of the hallmarks of people who already have eternal life. Next time on Verse by Verse, we will see an example from Luke chapter 19 and consider the reason why authentic Christians go beyond not stealing, but give generously. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse... If you're concerned about... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.